podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. In a very couple of minutes here, we'll be hearing from our special guest, David Halpern, who's got a new book out by the title of Intimate Alien, The Hidden Story of the UFO. Before we go to that, we'll talk about a little bit about last week and about what everybody's doing to keep safe from coronavirus. So last week we had Preston Dennett, both for the main show and for after the Paracast. And I know I always agree with Preston. I think he accepts things too readily. But isn't he, Randall, a great storyteller? Yeah, I really like Preston Dennett. I think he's got such a great attitude. And, uh, you know, like you, I tend to think that maybe he's a bit weighed down on the believer side when it comes to some stories like the Travis Walton case, the, the Sid Graves National Forest incident. He's very convinced that that seemed to be a real case. Me, not so much. But but when he mentioned that when Travis punched the alien in the head, it was like punching a marshmallow and that he had run across another case where somebody had actually attacked an alien and it felt like they were punching a beanbag. I thought, well, those are really coincidental experiences. <laughs> you know, very kind of interesting. I'd never I'd never really looked at those details before. Those are the things that make these all so weird. And it leads me to believe that there's certainly a subjective element there and that it's not a real physical experience, but something else. Quite possibly. I mean, with the Sitgraves National Forest incident, I'm not sure there was any abduction at all. You know, maybe there was, you know, maybe it's possible for someone who doesn't have a stellar reputation at the time to have something strange happen to them. But I have a I have a tough time believing that case. But other cases that Preston has looked into, well, you know, he seems to be fairly level headed and and a really sincere guy. Like, I don't get the impression that Preston is trying to pull anyone in or fool them or, you know, create a, a cult of personality around himself. He's just a really kind of very matter of fact, likable guy. David, have you heard or read stuff from Preston Dennett? No, I'm afraid I've not. The point is here, of course, is that the guy is trying his best to report about really, really weird things. I don't disagree something happens to these people, but he's too quick to call them E.T. Well, that's pretty common out there, uh, you know, in the world of ufology. And I think maybe just before we get to that, one of the things I would really like to say to all our listeners out there is in the midst of this whole COVID-19 thing, well, Gene and I are doing well. Our former co-host, Christopher O'Brien, he's doing well. William Puckett, our part-time special correspondent. He's doing well. And you can always check out his latest reports at UFOs Northwest. And we really hope all our listeners out there are doing well and following all the WHO guidelines to minimize the chance of contracting COVID-19. Our guest today, David Halperin, he's also doing well. We're really glad to have you on the show today, David. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me here. What I'd like to do is talk a little bit about your book. It's called The Intimate Alien, The Hidden Story of the UFO. And in it, you talk about a third way of looking at the UFO problem. So let's talk a bit about that third way. What do you mean by that? Okay, the standard approaches are the believers and the debunkers. And I don't believe and I don't debunk. 
I do not think we are being visited by extraterrestrials or by entities from other dimensions or the center of the earth or wherever. But on the other hand, I am quite convinced that we are not dealing with bunk. We are dealing with something that emerges from the human psyche and that is tremendously important, at times profound, and to which attention must be paid. And the way I speak of that third path is to say UFOs are a myth. But by that, I do not mean they are falsehood or nonsense. I use myth in the way that Carl Jung used it, as a kind of collective dream of the human species. Maybe we can elaborate on that a little bit, because not everyone is familiar with Jung. Most of us think of myths as, you know, it's just stories that are obscured by the myths of time. Maybe they're true, maybe they're fiction, maybe there's some combination of both. But what you're saying sounds a little bit more mystical, so along the lines of what he might have called uh, the collective consciousness. Uh, and does it is are are we saying in this context that maybe UFOs are some type of an archetype? Yes, yes. I mean, Jung saw them as mandalas, widespread archetype that represents wholeness represents integration of opposites. And if you think about it, aerodynamically, flying disks don't make a heck of a lot of sense. But an image of wholeness projected into the sky does. Right. There's the whole yin-yang. That's the kind of the wholeness. It's a circle. Exactly. In essence, there's the circle itself is very much an embodiment of that whole idea. Of course, not all UFOs are circles, though. I mean, now we've got triangles. So, (laughs) but but there we could get into the mythology of triangles just as easily, I suppose. Oh yes, I mean, and and actually, the triangle is a really interesting phenomenon. When back when Gene and I were teen ufologists in the nineteen sixties, I don't think there were any such things as flying triangles. We had the disc-shaped UFOs and the cigar-shaped, which we tended to assume were larger, and the motherships for the disc-shaped UFOs. The triangle was a relatively recent newcomer to the stage. I think of it in connection with the Hudson Valley sightings of the 1980s, and it really comes into its own in Belgium in 1989 to 1990. And there, I think, Jung had a handle on what is symbolized by the triangle. And if you'd like, we can talk about that a little bit more. Be my guest. Well, I'm following in the path here of Eric Wellett, who wrote wrote a book on the psychological and parapsychological dimensions of the UFO problem. And he pointed out a symbolism, you know, the, that a fair number of the Belgian, the Belgian reports were of flying triangles with white lights at the three corners 
and a dimmer red light in the middle. Now, to me, that sounds, Eric did not point this out, but to me, that sounds very much like the Jungian archetype of the quaternity, which is also an image of wholeness, and that it's characterized by a foursome of which one is somehow different from the other three. Now, what Eric pointed out is that there was a very specific kind of historical symbolism going on. That you recall the Belgian wave started at the end of November 1989, and that November 1989 was not exactly an, uh, an uneventful time in European history. That on November 9th, the Berlin Wall came down. And what unfolded over the coming weeks and months was something that nobody really would have expected, the collapse of communism in Central and Eastern Europe, for the most part, without bloodshed. You know now, what? Before the advertisers give us some bloodshed, we got more with David, Gene, and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day, but supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. 
Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNLife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNLife.com or call toll free 844-443-6637. That's GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. We have all seen and perhaps used the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you ever noticed how it dries your skin and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? With bacteria and virus problems, sanitizers and hand washing are the first line of defense against infectious disease. GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements as set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration as a first aid antiseptic. When it comes to sanitizers, it only makes sense that it lasts till the next application and doesn't dry and crack your skin, inviting infection. For long-lasting, alcohol-free sanitizing, come to GCNteam.com keyword antibacterial. That's GCNteam.com antibacterial or call 877-878-4203. 877-878-4203. Honorary Forest Ranger Betty White here, lending a hand to my dear friend Smokey Bear. Because for 75 years, he's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But there's a lot more to say. Like, if you park your car on tall, dry grass, the hot exhaust pipe can start a wildfire. So be careful out there. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So let's go back to that history there. David Halpern, author of Intimate Alien. Go on. Yes, and this is the punchline that the red star was a symbol of communism, the white star was a symbol of NATO, and what people were seeing in the skies was a symbolic representation along Jungian lines, that is, the three and the one, of what they felt happening around them, that the once menacing red star was fading, and that the star of the Western Alliance was growing stronger. I don't know if that's actually the the case, like that somebody didn't actually sort of see a craft that had those lights. But I find it really fascinating that the symbolism like this tends to be a facet of the overall phenomenon. And it has been for, it seems, as far back as you want to go. I mean, there are even stories of flying crosses. You don't need any real in-depth explanation for that one either, I mean, do you, David? Not at all. I, I see what was going on in Belgium as something very archaic, actually medieval, that people were aware of changes, of transformations around them, of an impending war, they look up to the sky and they see battles, objects battling each other 
or in one case, armies marching in the heavens. I would call these religious visions, and I would call UFO sightings religious visions, religious experiences. Yeah, indeed, some of them have been, and there have been books to that effect written. Uh, you know, God Drives a Flying Saucer, for example, an excellent title. R.L. Dion, I think, and he goes through a number of stories right out of the uh, Old and New Testament. It's been around for a long time. These symbolisms, they they can't really be ignored. I mean, it, maybe we can make a symbolism out of everything, but to me it seems like just maybe a little too coincidental that we can do it with so much precision so often. One of the points I make in the book is that the question to be asked about UFOs is not what are they or where do they come from, but what do they mean? That a spaceship, an interplanetary spaceship, if it exists, doesn't mean anything. It just is. But the UFO, as I see it, and the Belgian cases, it seems to me, are examples, are vehicles of meaning. Exactly. Let's suppose they are real. And, and, and just sort of set that aside. What are they doing here? And what is this meaning that they're trying to convey? I mean, we hear of people like contactees or abductees say that they have been given messages by these aliens, for lack of a better term, that they tend to talk about preserving the ecology, uh, avoiding mass destruction. Preston Dennett, actually, our last guest, he mentioned that another thing that is less often conveyed is to stop treating animals as bad as we do. So something separate from just nature itself, like treat the planet better, but stop with the eating of the animals. And now we find that this uh, coronavirus thing has its origin in the wet markets of China where their government there has given people permission to hunt all manner of animals and sell them as food products. Yes, yes. I mean, I think that the messages that people who supposedly have contacts with the UFO pilots, that these messages are part of the story. It's not simply a matter of explicit messages, but what is conveyed by the simple physical appearance of the UFO. Oh, sure. Getting back to the triangle again, I mean, there we go with the Trinity. I suppose we could look at the red dot in the middle as the battle of the Trinity against uh, Satan or something like that as, as well. The, the, the evil invading the Trinity and, and trying to disrupt it from within. Actually, Jung dealt with something like that, but did kind of did the reverse. To Jung, Christianity's great error was that it took a quaternity and mutilated it and left only the trinity. That the fourth, Jung said that where we have three, we must ask where is the fourth? And for Jung, the fourth in Christianity was sometimes he thought it was Satan, sometimes he thought it was Mary, and that it was Christianity's mistake to have excluded let's say, the fierce and the destructive, or alternatively, the feminine, from its God, and turned it into something external and demonic. So, yeah, I think that we're dealing with a variety of the same symbolism 
that led Christianity to see the Trinity as something natural. There is an element out there who sees UFOs as, uh, in quotation marks, transports from hell. And, and so they see it very much as this outsider force that's coming in to disrupt the, the Christian way. Now, I have to make an admission here. I have not looked at their literature, and I think it's important. You can find it scattered around the internet, yeah, where the, the, the whole alien presence on Earth is seen as a demonic presence. Uh, on the other side, we have angels, we have the so-called light side, and then we have this darker side. For them, anything that has to do with aliens is evil. And anything that has to do with angels is good. And yet to us, I mean, aren't they both kind of alien? Oh, I think so. I think so. So when we're talking this way, then you're not saying that there's no room for people who want to look at it more objectively and say, well, yeah, I mean, there are craft coming here, probably from some other star system. They're probably interstellar. That's fine. But in the larger picture, we can just look at it this way. We can set that aside and we can look at it this way. So you're, if I'm reading you right, you're not saying we need to replace the idea that they are a physical reality. You're saying, well, here is something else we can look at that can maybe expand our understanding of it further in some way. Have I got you right there? No. Okay, is, so, I consider that a legitimate position, but it's not mine. Okay. So what is yours? And are, are you saying if you had your way, would we just Take all of the books that are on our UFO library shelves right now and burn them in a great pyre and just start over. God forbid. I would not favor burning books and certainly not UFO books. Whatever is said about the UFO is a part of the phenomenon and has aspects to reveal about it that's important. But I do not believe that there is an objective component. You know, except in the very banal sense that if I misinterpret the planet Venus as a UFO, that the planet Venus has physical existence. It is quite legitimate for someone to say that, yes, the actual visitations of beings from other planets has stimulated what I see as the religious mythology of the UFO. With Gene, David, and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNlife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNlife.com.
Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. USA Radio News with Wendy King. President Trump says production of face masks is on the rise to deal with the coronavirus pandemic, but they need to stay in the U.S. We need the masks. We don't want other people getting it. That's why we're that's why we're instituting a lot of Defense Production Act. The Trump administration announced it would prevent the export of N95 masks. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says that's not a good idea. We're working with the American administration uh, to ensure that they understand that goods and services that are essential to both our countries flow in both directions across the border, and it is not in any of our interests uh, to actually limit that flow. John Hopkins University reports the U.S. death toll from the pandemic has topped 8,000. This is USA Radio News. America's founders knew power corrupts, and ultimate power corrupts ultimately, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's why they built in checks and balances to prevent any one group from seizing all power. And that's why our president is elected by a college of electors, to protect the rights of little states like Delaware and Wyoming against giants like New York and California. After all, our country is a republic, the United States of America, not the United State. Our states are independent, sovereign powers who created the federal government, not the other way around. And that's why all power ultimately lies in we the people and the states, not a central dictatorship of cronies. Did you know that? Thank God for the U.S. Constitution. Find out more how our amazing Constitution and Bill of Rights protect us, the citizens, against power-crazed politicians in Washington. Help us take back America. Go to OurAmericanRights.com. Brought to you by the American Media Council. Extendivite really works. Just listen to what Wayne has to say. Extendivite. I have uh, been taking it for about two years, and I had uh, really bad heart palpitations. And since I've been taking it, I don't have any major episodes at all anymore. I'm 76 years old, and I still play competitive basketball. Of course, I've taken care of myself really good since I was 60, but um, Extendivite really helped the blood pressure, really helped the... I used to get really bad episodes of heart palpitations, just skipping beats and double beats. But also I wanted to tell you that I really appreciate your broadcast. They're just uh, really refreshing. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend Ovoids. This is me, the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. As usual, David, you start on a trend. I don't want to stop you, but the clock on the wall says otherwise. Go ahead, please. Okay, well, 
that I see, I assume no one has misunderstood me so far, but I see UFOs as essentially a religious phenomenon. And as such, I see them coming from inside us. Okay, so what I'm trying to get from you then is you don't believe then in things like radar visual reports. Like even Young himself says, that, you know, at the end of Flying Saucers, a modern myth of things we see in the skies, that I mean, you, obviously your mind isn't going to create a radar return. So, that, you know, or is it? I mean, how do we deal with that then? I would have to say there that I think when we speak of radar visual sightings, we often ignore the cases in which radar does not confirm the visual. And again, I would go to, uh, to Belgium, this time to March 1990, where jets are sent up to pursue objects that have been detected on radar and apparently seen. The pilots get a lock on them with the radar, but they don't see anything. So how would we explain that if we suppose there are actual objects there? So I am going to have to say that I think that the radar visual cases are caused by selective recording of those cases where coincidentally there are false radar blips where people have seen something and ignoring oh. <laughs> those cases where oh, okay. there are divergences. Okay, so in, in, in the Belgian sightings, there were instances where pilots did see lights. If we go to the 1952 DC cases, what we've got is we've got two sets of radar, more than one jet, and ground witnesses. And we have a case where a pilot is vectored by ground radar to a UFO that is being observed from the ground. The pilot sees it, locks on to that object with its radar. So now we've got the ground radar, the jet's radar, people on the ground, and the jet pilot saying, okay, I see them. They surround his jet, and this is all well-documented. And then they streak off into the distance and are gone from radar. Now, I don't really see how we can claim that that is just in any way a religion or a religious vision on the part of people. and technology there so this is why i'm saying i really find what your your book and your viewpoint says to be interesting because it's something that isn't really looked at it brings meaning into these sightings but i'm personally not prepared to say well something like the washington dc 52 case just is irrelevant because it was someone's imagination or faulty equipment or something like that that doesn't work yeah i admit there are cases that are genuinely baffling, and that is one of them. Okay, so, so now we're back to where, okay, let's say, okay, so there is, at least in some people's minds, and I mean, I wasn't there, maybe the whole thing is, is just fiction, but I, I think it's reasonable enough to believe that that happens. So we can set that aside over there, and then we can say, well, what the heck does it all mean? What are these objects? whether they're real or not, trying to convey. And that's where we get into what you do. And by focusing on that so exclusively, I think you come up with some really interesting ideas. Thank you. Thank you. 
and I will acknowledge that there are things I leave out. You quoted one of them. The one that I bring up in my book is the Socorro sighting of April 1964, which oh, I sure. have never seen a convincing explanation of. Yeah, no, that's another good one. Very interesting. So uh, when you bring it up in your, in your book, uh, let's talk about that briefly. I bring it up to admit that I can't explain everything. Okay. Well, that's that, fair enough because, you know, it's, it's certainly we've got a whole variety of uh, players in the game, right? Uh, it's, we're not talking about just believers or debunkers. We've got, well, we've got the believers, the debunkers, the skeptics, the scientists, the psychologists, the mythologists, the historians, and the ufologists. And everybody is, has got their own particular slant on it. And, uh, you know, I personally think there's room for everybody. I've made a concession, but now I'm, a, I, I'm going to take back that concession partly. Okay. Because it seems to me that if you want to do the obvious alternative to saying that, well, we don't know what happened at Socorro, but we, we're going to assume that there was some mundane explanation. If you do the alternative to say that these were space visitors, why is it that the beings that the witness, Lonnie Zamora, saw in connection with the UFO seem to fade away. Why are they replaced after the publication of Whitley Strieber's Communion by the classic greys, the the beings with the light bulb-shaped heads and the enormous eyes? Why are those never reported before Strieber? Why do the pilots of these objects change with the with the decades that would not suit actual visitors it would suit things that are projections of our inner needs and desires it's sort of like the, the why, why, why do the why does the airship of 1897 seem to reflect the technology of the late 19th century those are really really good questions and I'm not sure that I have the answer, but I would suggest that it's equally as possible that those projections are not necessarily projections from us, but projections from them in order to drive our own psyches. Another, or do you see what I'm saying there? That is to say, that we are being, infl not only do we see the UFOs, but we are being psychically influenced by entities that are not human, that are outside ourselves. Exactly. Maybe not psychically, but they're affecting our psyche our and our history in, in this really interesting way that you describe. And it seems to be leading us in a direction it, it causes us to think like gene always reminds us there's gene what is this saying and who was responsible for that ufos are here to make us think that was ray palmer something he repeated over and over again i think partly to get people to think about some of the things he was saying 
which weren't necessarily kosher in connection with conventional UFO thinking, if there is such a thing as conventional. Yes. Yes. But go flip that around a bit, okay? Because I, I, yeah. I, I, we, we can say that the UFOs, that we create the UFOs to stimulate ourselves into thinking in directions we wouldn't have thought otherwise. We certainly look at them that way. That gets into the whole uh, kind of the co-creation thing again there where uh, you know, our, our good friend over at Radio Mysterioso, Greg Bishop, talks about. Does uh, Spell it out a little bit. Well, it's pretty much the same as what you're saying is in that the phenomena tends to reflect the worldview of the experiencer. Yeah. We'll get into UFO creation, conspiracies, collective unconscious, co-creation, and lots of good things. I want to talk also about that book, Intimate Alien, after the next segment. More to come with David Halper and Gene and Randall. You're in. The Paracast. listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Join me, George Norrie, in Indian Wells, California, May 29th to June 1st for the Contact in the Desert UFO Conference, an epic weekend of exploration into UFOs, ancient civilizations, crop circles, and so much more. Over 150 lectures, panels, workshops, and events with leading experts Paul Hellyer, Linda Moulton Howe, Nick Pope, Emery Smith, Stephen Greer, Russell Targ, Doc Wallach, Leslie Kane, and more. Get your tickets at contactinthedesert.com. It's time to make contact, contactinthedesert.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. 
If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-667-9035. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-667-9035. 800-667-9035. That's 800-667-9035. The Hebo Tea Club's original pure Powderarco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. So it naturally has antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-infection, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. But maybe more importantly, the Hebo Tea Club's original pure Pau Arco Super Tea builds corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer happens to die in oxygen. The tea is great for healthy people and can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The Hebo Tea Club's original Pure Pau de Arco Super Tea is only $34.95 plus shipping. Order now at ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. That's ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. <laughs> Ron Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So we have an issue we're talking about here, Greg Bishop's co-creation theory, which is an extension of the collective unconscious saying that together we're all involved in what we see and we're manipulating it in some way. I would formulate it somewhat differently, but I think it's along the same lines, that the witness is a vital part of the of the sighting. The witness is not just somebody who happened to be there when an extraterrestrial vehicle was flying around. That implies, uh, if there is an objective reality, that there is an intent on their part to influence the experiencer. You know, what has struck me over the past 10 minutes or so is that everything we're saying about UFOs could also be said about God. Yes, that is what, true. That, I mean, that is the essential question, say, when you're dealing with the Bible, which is something I deal with a great deal. That are we dealing with a human projection onto a non-existent being, or are we dealing with some way that something beyond us uses our human psyches to convey what he, she, it wants to convey to us? I don't know which stand I would take on that question. I think there's room for both, actually, uh, in there. Sort of that the biblical revelation is co-created by God and by the recipients. Or I should say, I won't use the word God, but something transcendent and the recipients. Well, I guess if we're going to compare it to God or Godhood, then we have to have some idea of what we mean by that. And me personally being non-religious, I look at 
at gods and godhood as being sort of like the figureheads of a religious hierarchy or belief system. I mean, in other words, um, there's the idea in, in monotheism that there's only one God, but then we have pantheism and so on where there are many. We can make anything we want into a God. All we have to do is name it as such and create a number of rituals around it. And, uh, you know, your crystal ball can become a God. So in a sense, I mean, we look at the Egyptians, the sun was a God to them. Literally, the, the sun that we see in the sky, they worshipped as a God. It's a real thing. It's measurable. It exists. It's there every day. It's repeatable. And yet it had this special meaning in their life that was religious. This is fascinating because it sounds like your approach to religion is akin to mine to UFOs. Oh, that is really interesting. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. In which case, I see that there's room for both because I see the sun as being a, a, a large plasma ball in the sky that is uh, performing its all its physical processes in order to provide light and warmth to the earth. And yet I also recognize that the Egyptians and even some people today view it as a, a deity. Let's take the, mir the, the, the miracle of the sun at Fatima in October of 1917, in which we don't know just how many were in the crowd, but some estimates give it as 70,000. 70,000 people watch the sun fall to the earth which you and I know that the sun cannot possibly do. And yet this huge crowd of people saw it do that. And this, to me, is its not usually connected with UFOs, although I think probably it should be. But I think this is a branch of the UFO mystery. What we see, what people see when they see a UFO. Undoubtedly. And and that's what makes it so fascinating. Jacques Vallée, he, he was one of the people in ufology, prominent ufologist, who talked about a, a sort of a control system or agenda to influence earthly culture via these esoteric experiences. He would get right into the mythology in a very similar way to you and, and suggest that what is going on is a type of influence of culture through the selective experiences that they create for the experiencer. Yeah, Valet, I'm glad you mentioned Valet, because if I had to name the two people who most influenced my approach to UFOs, the first would be Jung and the second would be Valet. And in fact, I, by, quite by coincidence, I met Valet in 1970 when I, I was working for a professor at Stanford, and he was there. I mean, it was just wonderful. I mean, he, uh, he opened my mind to aspects of ufology I, uh, that in my teen years I could not have imagined. And my encounter with him induced me to reread Jung's book on flying saucers. And these are the two influences that have most shaped my thinking. But I must say that I think Jung was closer to the truth than Valet in ways that we've already brought forth. And I think we need that point of view. Recently, we had a, a friendly skeptic on, Sarah Scholes, who was talking about Uf ufology culture from the point of view of a person who is very interested in science and probably would be completely on the other side from where we are. 
And yet she was very open-minded to everything in the middle as well. We really need people like her who are completely outside the ketchup bottle to, to say, hey, you know, everybody in there, have you, have you considered this point of view? And in a way, I think that where you're coming from is, is almost as outside the ketchup bottle as that, but from a different perspective. And with an important difference that, unless I misunderstand, I don't think Sarah Scholes was ever in the ketchup bottle. Am I right about that? That's right. No, that, you know, you bring up a really good point there, because in your early years, you were a teenage UFO investigator. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about that transformation. I I mean, I know some of our listeners have heard it before, but but go ahead and and, uh, recount how you evolved. The beginning was not evolution, but a sudden, dazzling opening of awareness. And it came when I read Gray Barker's They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, which was published in 1956. It is an extraordinary book. I wish more people would read it. I read that book in the course of doing a... I think an extra credit paper for an eighth grade science class, and I became converted, that I became absolutely convinced that UFOs were real. And I look back and I ask, why? What was there about this perhaps somewhat overheated book, this certainly fantastic book, that persuaded me so much? And the answer was the men in black, the three men in black who come to silence you if you discover the awful truth about UFOs. And I knew that they existed. I knew that Barker was telling the truth. And I knew that because they were part of my daily experience. The silence that prevailed in my small household over the dreadful secret that my mother was slowly dying. Reading Barker I saw a mirror of my own experience. At that time, I didn't know it was a mirror of my own experience. It's only looking back that I can grasp that. And for that reason, I knew UFOs were real because the men in black were real. And I knew the men in black were real because I saw them every day. Am I making sense here? I think you're making sense. For those who haven't heard, your recounting of this before, it will make more sense as you continue. So I became a ufologist, I think partly unconsciously as an attempt to understand what was happening to my mother, why she was withering and weakening. Were you religious at this time? I, maybe that's something that, that we should uh, get clear. Are Are you a religious person? Were you a religious person at that time? I'll start with the first question. I consider myself a religious person, even though I am very uncertain, to say the least, whether God exists. I certainly do not believe that the God described in the Bible exists. But I am religious in the sense that I feel deeply the need for the transcendent and for the and the need for humans at least for myself to interact with the transcendent to have some sense of it 
in our lives. Now, this does, it does not necessarily follow that the transcendent exists. But you know what's going to exist? Not us if we don't get these announcements out of the way. We're to come with Gene Randall and David. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com, that's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com, or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. All right, we're going back with the final comment there from David Halper, and then I'm really wrong to get deep, dark, and dirty into that book. Let's go. Yeah, because before the break there, we were talking about your view of religion today as you see it. Although you're a religious person, you're not sure that the transcendent actually exists, but you recognize it as being part of your belief system in a, in a maybe a more abstract sense. Is, is it, have I got that right? Let us say it's part of what I need to function. And how about when you were young then, when you were going through the process of losing your mother? Were, were you a believer then? Would you pray to the Lord to save your mother as if there is a real transcendent being who could perhaps grant that wish? I would pray to the Lord that a pretty little girl who sat behind me in class 
would like me the way I liked her. I did not pray to the Lord to save my mother because that would have implied conceding that my mother was in danger, which I could not bring myself to do. Now, did I believe in God? Intermittently. I certainly was fascinated by the Bible. I also felt very acutely what the theologians call the problem of evil. Why, if there's a good God, is there evil in the world? And the book of Job was my favorite book of the Bible. For that very reason. interesting. Okay, yeah, that's... So then if we, if we compare that to, say, uh, finding a belief in flying saucers, then th- this wasn't a case where it was sort of a parallel to religion where you were hoping maybe the space brothers would come down and heal your mom. It was more a case of you had found something miraculous that could divert your attention away from the reality of what was going on in your world at the time. Or that promised to give me a handle on it. Okay. And I, and I realize that doesn't make much sense, but I'll try to, I'll try to clarify it. Uh, in, in uh, Intimate Alien, I talk about a sort of a strange disconnect in my beliefs. If you had come back, if you had gotten young Dave Halperin circa 1962 or 1963 and asked, were the UFOs here to redeem our world, Alas, you know, the Space Brothers, I would say that's nonsense. They are hostile. They are here to conquer us. Did I believe that? Because I know that when Donald Menzel published his The World of Flying Saucers in 1963, in which he tried to show that there were no, that there were no UFOs, that UFOs were a myth in his very disparaging sense of the word, I was terrified. I was terrified that he would prove to me that UFOs didn't exist. Now, isn't this incongruous of, I think the UFOs are here to conquer the world and dude, who knows what to us? Shouldn't I be relieved to find out they don't exist? It would be as if somebody were, was, were suddenly to reveal yeah. the coronavirus doesn't exist. Right. And that this really is all a fantasy of the media. You know what? There's still people going around saying it's fake. It's just a hoax from the Democrats. You got to tell that to all the families who are impacted about the families of the people who have died. Uh, Forget about the politics, guys. That kind of claim is just sick. As far as coronavirus goes, but as far as UFOs goes, I I think it was really pretty plausible. No, I get what you're saying, David. I totally get what you're saying, because I think I've felt perhaps the same way myself in 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 an odd sense in that okay ufos are real you'll see when they come down and take over and i'll get my vindication when they destroy the world (laughs) you know and in in a way actually with with what gene is talking about there um there's this i'm feeling somewhat similar because i've written songs in the past about how if we keep mistreating nature and the world, what's going on is nature is going to fight back. Something is going to happen, and it won't be pretty. And there is that view that that that's exactly what's going on now, is that we went too far with what we were doing, and 
there is a pattern in nature that is prone to equalizing things, and that's what's going on. And part of me wants to say, look, you know, I told you so. And I'm sure there's probably a number of other people out there at the same time going, I told you so, because they predicted that this would happen and tried to warn people. But there's no sense of satisfaction in seeing it come true. It's an awful thing to see it coming true. Yeah. With the difference that it looks like the horrible effects of global warming are, in fact, becoming real, whereas the UFO invasion never happened. And I think deep down I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I believed in it because it, and here I go to another ancient myth that is, I think, essentially true, which is Perseus being able to confront Medusa by not looking at her directly, but only in a mirror. The UFOs were the mirror in which I looked at the death that was creeping into, that was invading our home. Oh. And it was through that mirror that I was able to stay sane. If Menzel were right, the mirror would shatter and I would be left to face the unfaceable. What a fabulous metaphor. That is really deep. That is why I believed in UFOs. And in fact, after my mother died, the belief faded and really revived when I'm actually revived at two points. One was in 1969 when I did a, an independent study reading the book of Ezekiel. And then in 1970 when I met Jacques Vallée and the pieces started to come together. And my, my, my thoughts as a Bible scholar, a scholar of the history of Judaism, and as a ufologist, which by the way I still think of myself as being, came together. Okay, that is that is really interesting because I mean this is one ufologist to another then, and this is one of the reasons why I say that we need to make room for your kinds of views within the overall field, in, in, the as well as the others. You know, because I think the essential thing we're claiming is not UFOs are from outer space, but UFOs are important. Attention must be paid. That is a common ground for sure. Yeah. No, yeah. no question. So let's consider for a moment then. Um, let's say that uh, there was some critic out there that, that says, well, you know, Carl Jung already did this, you know, and you're just retelling his stories and in, in your own way. What sets your work apart do you, do you consider it to be more of an evolution of young's work or yeah how how do we how you know let's let's get into that a little bit what where have you taken young since he wrote flying saucers a modern myth of things seen in the sky what have you added to that i think i have fleshed it out in the specific some specific ufo incidents and particularly in the individuals who I see as formative in shaping the UFO myth. And remember, I do not use myth to mean falsehood. I use myth to mean a kind of collective dream. 
so yeah, there's no question right, that I've yeah, been but- inspired by Jung. But not all of us have been inspired by our predecessors. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. We have some gigantic comments to make right now. David Halpern, the book is Intimate Alien, and now I really want to move headmost and head foremost into that book with Gene, Randall, and David. You're in The Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attention all radio listeners who still need food supplies. If you've thought about the implication of food-related supply chain disruptions and are concerned about the coming quarantines, this will be the most important message you will ever hear. Here's why. In the next few days, all Americans will face extremely hard choices. If we've learned anything from China and Italy, it's that quarantines and enforced lockdowns are just a few days away here in the U.S. Listen, while dehydrated food is becoming scarce, you can still get enough open pollinated heirloom seeds to grow a one-acre crisis garden. The truth is, growing nutrient-dense vegetables in the days ahead may actually be the single most important thing you do. Go to survivalseedbank.com and watch the new video to understand the nature of the threat. This could be life-saving. Lockdowns can last from six to eight weeks. Get free bonus seeds, special quarantine reports, too. Go to survivalseedbank.com. That's survivalseedbank.com. This is Fred. Uh, Hi, I'm Fred. Fred's a repeater. I tend to repeat. Fred has a business. I do have a business. And a problem. Fred repeats the same tired advertising over and over, and now it doesn't work. Over and over. But Fred is about to see a vision. I'm seeing a vision. Advertising on the Genesis Communications Network is the smart way for Fred to reach his potential customers with the most affordable national advertising rates, period. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just email advertise at GCNlive.com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. 
Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid mobile survival bug outhouse that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement? You bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Maybe we should have David come back and get into this theoretical material in after the Paracast. But we've got this new book from you, Intimate Alien. I am yes. aching to talk about it. Not just because I play a cameo role that we can talk about. I think very been working important on, cameo role, I should say. Well, thank you very much. I resemble that remark, but seriously, what led you to put this book together? Because I think that the UFOs have been the guiding principle of my intellectual life. No, I won't. Uh, I won't restrict it to intellectual, intellectual, and spiritual. And I am not a young man. I am 72 years old. The UFOs have been with me for nearly 60 of those years. And to me, telling the story of the UFO, both as my story and as the story of others, with whom I think I can understand particularly well because I was there. That that I see as my life's mission. Oh, let's take a look at this here now. Why the words intimate alien? Yes. That at the bottom, the most at the center, I see the UFO as representing death. And death is both something intimate to us bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, born with us at the moment of our birth, and at the same time, the most alien thing we can fail in our efforts to conceive. And that paradox of the alien that is intimate is what I see the UFO as most fundamentally about. You have some different aspects of the UFO field and case histories in the book, and I want to get through a couple of the chapter heads because it'll give you kind of a sense of where he's gone. You talk about your startings, Magonia abductions, which is a big part that's inside the UFO. The UFO terrestrial about the three men in black and shaver mystery, which is, of course the one that I got somehow involved in. And then, of course, Roswell, New Mexico, 
and an epilogue about John Lennon. I don't even know where to begin here. Well, shall we begin with John Lennon? I'll tell you what, let's do John Lennon first. Yeah, that I don't know how many people know that in August of 1974, John Lennon had a close-up UFO sighting. I think in the standard classification system, it would be called a close encounter of the first kind. That Lennon was at the time separated from his wife, Yoko Ono, and living with his assistant, May Pang, in a penthouse apartment in Manhattan. And according to the stories both of them have told, and they were both interviewed multiple times, uh, Pang had been showering, and Lennon, who liked to walk around the apartment naked, and by the way, this is not just a bit of risque detail, this is important to the story, that uh, he called to her, May, May, come out here, and they went out on the balcony, uh, and they saw a dome disc passing fairly close overhead. Uh, they had a camera with them. They took photos of it. Uh, the photos came out completely blank, which is exactly what I would have expected. Yet they did experience that disc passing over them. Now, in almost all, there is, I've come across one exception, but in almost all of their retellings of the story, they stress that one or both of them were naked. And they do that so consistently that I cannot believe that that is just an incidental detail. And I ask, where else do we find a naked human couple confronting a numinous entity? And I'm bringing in the Jungian word numinous here, which I think links God with the UFOs. Well, of course, uh, we've, got, we've got the mythology of the Garden of Eden, of course. Of course, the Lord God walking in the garden at the, cool in the, at the cool of the day, which is when Lennon and Pang had their sighting. They, Pang, in one interview, says it had been a hot day, but by then it had cooled off and we could open the windows. He walks in the garden at the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve hide from him. And he says, Adam, where art thou? And Adam says, I heard thy voice walking in the garden, and I was ashamed because I was naked, and I hid myself. The nakedness of Adam and Eve are vital to the story. The nakedness of John and May is vital to the story. And I understand this as the two of them experiencing a reenactment of that Eden story. I do not for a moment believe that either did so deliberately. I see this as something that had come unbidden from inside them, and in one important way, challenging them. Lennon, three years before, Lennon had recorded his most famous song of the post-Beatle era, which was Imagine. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. There's no hell beneath our feet, above us only sky, which is the total disenchantment of the sky. It's not a religious heaven. It's just 
Well, it's just sky. One, of course, minor trivia about that is the lyrics primarily, I don't know if people know this, came from Yoko Ono, put to John Lennon's music. Not that she need anything, but she was, as much as people dislike her for many of a thousand reasons, she was very much into peace. The, the song is about more than peace, though. It's about a total secularization of human society and a total, se- a total disen- unenchantment of the world around us. And I think that world reasserted itself. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Yoko Ono, because I think Yoko was part of this story, that it was she who engineered John's affair with May Pang. And that is correct. Yes. And it's funny, though, in the end, you know, who helped get them back together again, Yoko and John? I did. Story, Paul McCartney. I didn't know that. You see, what happened here is somewhere around the mid 70s, after being estranged for the years after the Beatles broke up, John and Paul started becoming more and more friendly again. In fact, I'll give you the final story before we go into this and get into more of the case histories. In our next segment with David Halpern, the book is called Intimate Alien, the hidden story of the UFO. I'm Gene. He's Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNlife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNlife.com or 844-443-6637. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. With coronavirus death rates escalating rapidly around the country, the CDC is now recommending facial coverings to help slow the spread of the virus. President Trump made it clear he would not be using them. The CDC is advising the use of non-medical cloth face covering as an additional voluntary public health measure. So it's voluntary. You don't have to do it. They suggest it for a period of time. But uh, this is voluntary. I don't think I'm going to be doing it. In the hardest-hit city, New York Governor Cuomo signed an executive order to transfer ventilators from facilities that aren't using them to overwhelmed hospitals. He said he would use the National Guard if needed. I'm not going to let people die because we didn't uh, redistribute ventilators. This is USA Radio News. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right. 
Call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. Again, that's 800-871-3291. If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331. This is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. There is a cassette tape that was found after Lennon died, and it had two words on it, for Paul, meaning that had he not died, he would have tried to try writing songs again with Paul McCartney. In fact, a couple of songs were later taken in the 90s and put into the anthology CDs where the rest of the Beatles got together with the help of producer Jeff Lynn to add music to these very poor quality cassettes where it was just John and his piano. Go ahead, David Halpern. I mean, I'm glad you brought Yoko in because I, I think like any UFO experience, the encounter of John and with the UFO had multiple meanings. One of it was a way of asserting their independence vis-a-vis Yoko. And she was furious afterwards that they hadn't phoned her to tell her about the UFO. But I think it was important that they didn't. That the triad, which had been John and Yoko and May, became John, May, and the other. Exactly. This takes us right back to the beginning, doesn't it? I've lightened up a lot about Yoko (laughs) as I've gotten older, but she was always kind of like the snake in the grass, wasn't she? You know, in this analogy. Well, what you said that she's this, this is something I had not thought about. And it is really interesting. If I wake up at three o'clock this morning, I am probably going to have to chew that over, especially since I'm since I'm so since I'm so big on Jung. And here we've got 
a, a, a Jungian quaternity. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. The, the triad, the trinity of John and May and the alien, the other, and the excluded one. The one who is, yeah. didn't get the telephone call. Who, who is trying to demystify everything with above us only sky, right? I mean, it fits Okay, perfectly. okay. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I mean, I just love this because the, the okay, I, I mean, and I don't know at what point we start saying, well, we're letting our speculations get ahead of us. I personally think it's a good idea to let speculations get ahead of you and then rain them back tomorrow morning. Oh, yeah. But, we're just having fun with it. I mean, okay, the other thing we're dealing with in this sighting is that the UFO was seen over the river. And, of course, we know the rivers have deep meaning within mythology. Yeah. And that it made a turn at the United Nations building. Oh, <laughs> you got to write a book about this. you got to write a book about this. <laughs> This is what I was saying in the book, that we're dealing here with a religious encounter, a religious experience, which has human dimensions at almost every level. And I hope some of your listeners are going to say, boy, this is more interesting than beings from outer space. This is real human stuff. I find it to be a lot of fun. And like I say, I think there could be room for both. I I could very well take the view that, well, this was a real craft, the occupants of which are fully aware of all of these ramifications, and we're trying to influence the situation. I mean, we have uh, John Lennon, uh, definitely a popular figure with young people who was an agent of social change. I'm not entirely sure it was just coincidental that this object showed up in front of them. Oh, I, I certainly don't think it was. You know, whether it was a projection of, you know, some collective consciousness or not, it's a very important bit of trivia in the overall history of the phenomenon, for sure. That is the story of John Lennon. Shall we move on to other stories? Yeah, where did we leave off there, Gene? You were looking at the book there. Where should we go next? Well, of course, he gets into abductions, and we've kind of sort of done that already. Then you talk about ancient abductees, which I think refers way back to the early biblical times. Let's do that before we move into the Shaver mystery, Roswell, and other stuff. Yeah, okay. And this is David Halperin as crypto-ufologist. That is to say, a hidden ufologist who hasn't yet gotten tenure and can't come out openly. <laughs> All right? Okay. What I wrote my PhD dissertation and my first two books about was about something called the Merkava or Ma'ase Merkava. And this was what seems to have been some something in ancient Judaism that crystallized around Ezekiel's vision at the beginning of his book in the first book of Ezekiel. And according to the ancient rabbinic writings, the Talmud, there is something very powerful, but also something very dangerous about this Ma'ase Merkava. And my question was, what was it? And I wrote a great deal about it, and one of the pieces of evidence in the rather complicated jigsaw puzzle that we did, we very hard to put together into a 
really satisfying picture. But one of the main pieces of evidence is some very strange ancient texts in which Jewish mystics experience through their own will and their activities journeys to the entity called the Merkava, the chariot, seen by the prophet Ezekiel. But something very strange. They are called Yodei Merkava, those who go down to the Merkava, which is the exact opposite direction from what you would imagine them to be going. And in their experiences, in the fact of their descent, their writings seem to me to have parallels with the alien abduction tradition. On the one hand, I think alien abductions spring from the encounter of Betty and Barney Hill in the early 60s, which I suggest in the book was a transformation of some sort of ancestral memory of Barney's of being abducted in the middle of the night and taken to a waiting ship, that is to say, the crime of African slavery, but emerging from this, I would say, this germ, this this seedling, the seed of the Betty and Barney Hill incident, and blossoming in the 1990s into an utterly fantastic uh, system of stories of people being abducted, that it incorporated at the same time something very ancient, so that it's a myth that's at the same time distinctively modern. Its birth can be traced to Dr. Benjamin Simon's office in Boston in February of 1964, and yet it's also archaic and universal. I'd like to talk a little bit more about this Merkava thing. Is that the actual craft or wheel or whatever it is that he saw that you're talking about there? We're talking about Ezekiel's experience with the wheel, I'm assuming here. The wheel is part of it. Okay. If I heard you right, it said that there are stories after that experience that Ezekiel had where people, uh, I'm not sure if they were from his tribe or village or friends or relatives or who they were went down and had repeated visitations with it did i get that right you got it you got it right oh well let's hear some more about that because this is entirely new to me it's centuries after ezekiel we do not know who these people are we do not know when they lived we what we do know is that their writings survive that seem to go back earlier than the Middle Ages. Their dates have been proposed, I think, and and they're referred to by authors in dated writings, I think, from the 8th and 9th centuries. So they've got to be earlier than that. Their supposed speakers are two rabbis, Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva, who lived in the Holy Land in the 2nd century CE, so they've got to be somewhere between the 2nd and the ninth century. Gene, Randall, David, you're in. The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. You've seen crazy diets to lose weight. At GCN Team, our healthy body weight loss system simply neutrifies the body, bringing down cravings. It has been proven that nutritional deficiencies drive appetite for carbs, sugars, and fats. Lose weight the easy way. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Fighting cravings is a fool's game. Give the body what it needs to be satisfied. Again, 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. With more people listening to radio than visit Google, Facebook, or YouTube, from the very young to the very old, everyone listens to radio. Pillow companies, alarm, identity theft, nutrition, insurance, banking, automotive, the list goes on and on. Billion-dollar businesses. Why? The answer is radio, the media everyone tunes into. Find out how effective and affordable radio can be for your business. Contact 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now, there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. I've probably noticed in the past five years that my eyes have gained a lot of fine lines, wrinkles. My crow's feet have gotten deeper. Wow. I was hoping for five years, but that's like what my eyes looked like ten years ago. That is really cool. Wrinkle gone? (laughs) It's easy. Just put it on your finger and go. Now I wish I had more down here because I can still see one wrinkle. It's bugging me. I am a little bit emotional. I Turning 40, I didn't think would be a big deal to me, but that looks like the me that I feel like inside instead of what, um, what I see when I look in the mirror. Try Instantly Ageless today at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. Hey, folks, Tom D. for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual, and this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word GEORGE and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like.
is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Return with us now to those thrilling days of... No, it's another... Anyway, David Halpern, taking us back through time to ancient times and ancient abductions. Tell us more. Yeah. What we particularly do not know is what their practices were. Did they actually have hallucinations of making this descent? And why did they speak of it as a descent? Everybody knows they ought to be going the other way, that the the the, the structures that Ezekiel sees, which are almost impossible to, cons- to visualize, have to be somewhere in the heavens. So why do they go down? Well, maybe um, it's like, okay, if it's a craft, maybe it's like, you know, how I might go down to my car in the driveway. You know, maybe it was down the hill from them or something like that. Let you know what I'm saying? If the, if you're talking about a vehicle, it says, let's go down, get in the chariot and take off, you know? But we seem to be dealing with some sort of a psychic journey. And to me, what the, the most reasonable explanation is that they were thinking of a plunge into the unconscious. But you have that in the UFO abductions also. I mean, there are a couple of cases where Bud Hopkins is hypnotizing people, and one of them says, we're going down underground. and but Hopkins says, "Ooh, you know, you, you shouldn't be going underground." Well, I don't care. I'm going. We're. I'm going underground. But of course, Ezekiel's his his vision was that something did come out of the sky, and it, in, first that of all, what he thought was some kind of a whirlwind, and then as it got closer, it, it seemed to be like a wheel within a wheel, which essentially sounds very much like a flying saucer, you know, with a dome in the middle. And then then with the faces around the edges, which sound very much like portholes that people could be looking out of numerous faces. Right. So, I mean, that all adds up to be pretty much like your classic flying saucer. Yeah, though, you really do have to ignore a fair amount in the chapter to see that to make it into an actual flying saucer. But I would concede the point that the wheels, whose function is very unclear, they don't seem to function like chariot wheels. No, it's like a wheel within a wheel. So, I mean, if you've got a saucer, you know, that's like a wheel. And then if you've got a center section, that's like a wheel within a wheel, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. And then if you've got the faces around the edge, that's like portals very i mean it's pretty easy one-to-one relationship there you don't have to stretch much to see that yeah except you'd have to ignore the living creatures who have four faces and uh, four wings that there are other parts of the vision that you have to pass over but i'm willing on uh, let, let me meet you on jungian grounds that i think that what Ezekiel sees, which he represents as wheels who seem, that seem to have no function, and what modern people see as mandalas flying through the skies represent eruptions of similar unconscious material. I think you're going to have a lot of trouble seeing the Ezekiel's wheels as vehicles from outer space, par- partly because, of, as I've said, the other parts of the chapter don't really fit in with that. And then when the per, the entity that is enthroned above all this stuff speaks to Ezekiel, he speaks to him about certain very specific issues 
regarding Jewish political uh, conflicts, which is very yeah. hard to imagine for a space alien. Who knows for sure what kind of involvement they've had with people. I mean, if we assume that they're actual beings uh, and have been around studying us for quite some time and are that much more advanced, uh, it's not inconceivable that they would have some idea of our social structure. I would find it very difficult to conceive, but it's okay. I mean, your approach and mine, I think, run. we can run parallel. Oh, indeed. I think regardless, I think that they, they can run very para- parallel and even connected because there's nothing that says that these same beings, if they're real, aren't actually trying to convey the same kind of thinking to the experiencer that you're describing. And that's what makes it so fascinating for me. It adds mm-hmm. another layer, another a whole other dimension to it, which I find quite fascinating. In which case, we might as well say they're God. If you want, you know, if you want to ascribe that title to them, that's a, that's a religious title. You know, that's I, I'm a non-religious person, so I I don't go there with that. But you know, other people certainly could. I mean, if you were a religious person back in those days, which I, I assume Ezekiel was, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the characters in back in play in those days as you are. But I mean, that would only be natural, wouldn't it? Yeah. And then centuries after Ezekiel come first the rabbis who want to keep his vision under wraps for reasons that are not made very clear, but which I think I can speculate about very much along Jungian lines. And these strange Yorde Merkava, the descenders to the chariot, who we don't know quite how they relate to the rabbis. They certainly uh, accepted the rabbi's authority because they put their visions in the mouths of two of the most prominent ancient rabbis. They seem to belong to some sort of a different sphere. And well, they, there's that whole underground UFO theory thing, that maybe there's underground bases. I mean, if we want to go that route, we could say, well, maybe they found an underground base, and they did go there. But who knows? Well, the literature has been translated now. I think uh, J- James Davila published a translation of it. Uh, when you read it, I don't think you would be inclined to take such a, how, how shall I say, physical interpretation of it. <laughs> yeah, I kind I of figured think, you were going to yeah, go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, okay, let's get back on track then. So so where are we going with, with all of that then, is it, in, from well, your perspective? From my perspective, where we're going is that alien abductions represent an eruption into the late 20th century of some impulses, some, I'll I'll keep using the word, religious impulses, religious awarenesses that are attested from documents from centuries earlier. And that the paradox that we're dealing with something that is late 20th century whose history can be traced out, and that we're at the same time dealing with, that it is at the same time archaic and timeless, that paradox is part of the essence of the UFO. 
You know, we're looking into a lot of fascinating possibilities here, some of which we kind of covered before. And we only have about four segments left. I wanted to get into part number three. Number three. And we start with the men in black, which you kind of sort of brought in earlier because you were so influenced, impressed by Gray Barker's book about the three men in black. Yeah. Conversely, when Albert Bender came out with Flying Saucers and the Three Men, where he turned out to be kind of sort of an abductee or contactee. Yes. How did you react to that? Well, I reacted when I read it in 1962, the way most of us did, that this was all nonsense. It's only now that I think we can see that there was a lot more to it than we gave it gave Bender credit for back then, and also a lot more to Bender. He was an absolutely extraordinary man. Tell me more. Well, you know, you know that he had kind of a second avocation after, you know, after he was frightened or whatever it was out of uh, saucerology. I'll use the archaic term out of saucerology that he became devoted to bringing Max Steiner's music to light. Max Steiner was the composer of scores for movies, classic movies like Gone with the Wind and Casablanca. And for some reason or another was entirely forgotten. He was one of the Hollywood greats. And for some reason that I do not know, and I wish I did, I think it's a very important question, Bender became fascinated with him. And I think still at Bridgeport, it was still when he lived in Bridgeport before he and his wife moved out to California, he founded something I think was called the Max Steiner Music Society, dedicated to retrieving all of Max Steiner's music, collecting it, and publicize, spreading the word about what a, what, 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 what a great uh, artist he was. I mean, it like, had I'll tell you, let's break it here. Let's break it here. We'll talk more about that. Alfred yeah. Bender, The Three Men, and Max Steiner. More to come with Gene Randall and David. You're in The Paracast. For listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo Tote Bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com. Stop by and take a shopping tour.
If you owe money to the IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance, where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Working through the IRS Fresh Start program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll-free call. 800-239-9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars, not to mention a lot of headaches. It could be the best call you've made today. That number again, 800-239-9957. The service does not provide tax settlement or legal services. We will refer you to a company that does provide such services. Often the IRS will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed. Not all taxpayers who owe more than $10,000 will qualify for a tax reduction program. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. David Halpern, author of Intimate Aliens, Just Shipping. You bring up the fact that Albert Bender was a very deep follower of Max Steiner. For those of us who grew up with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Taylor Swift, forget about that. No. (laughs) Tell us more about Max Steiner. That he was one of the Hollywood's great composers. That I think he wrote the scores for for more than 200 movies, uh, including some of the ones that have become all-time classics, Gone with the Wind and Casablanca. Now, why Bender was so attracted to him, I don't know. But what I know is that the same organizational skills that he poured in to making the International Flying Saucer Bureau a truly international organization and attracting members, he poured into building up this Max Steiner Society. Only here, the people who joined it were people that you know about, like Vincent Price. Many of the Hollywood greats were were, were members of his society. Vincent Price? Yeah. I'm blanking on the list. I can dig it out. Okay, what but what I, I where I'm where I'm confused here is was is I heard Men in Black get mentioned in there. So where do they come into the picture? In the fall of 1953, Bender abruptly closed down the International Flying Saucer Bureau, and he claimed that he had been visited by three men who told him the horrible truth about UFOs, about flying saucers, which he could not reveal, and they had kept him from telling anybody about it. I mean, this is how the men in black functioned, how they functioned for me, the enforcers of silence, and they continue to function that way when they're resurrected in Hollywood. What is it? uh, Neuralizer memories become fantasies now exactly what happened to bender i don't know i think i can guess but in any case he gave up his saucer research barker seems to have believed quite sincerely that bender had discovered something extraordinary and was visited by mysterious men 
The thing to bear in mind, though, guys, is that that was probably one of the last serious things Gray Barker ever did before he started playing games and having fun at the expense of UFO researchers with his buddy, Jim Mosley. Most of his later books, I I mean, are almost unreadable, like The Silver Bridge. I, I don't think I retained any of it 10 minutes after I finished reading it, whereas I can quote you huge chunks of they knew too much about flying saucers. I think that was that was Gray Barker being real. Barker and Bender together created that myth. I do not mean to say that they conspired, put their heads together. How can we create a myth? But that Bender took something that I believe did happen to him, and I can tell you what I would guess that was, and Barker was able to present it in such a way that it resonated with unconscious material that gave it the power that it did to reshape the life of a 13-year-old boy in Levittown, Pennsylvania, with a dying mother. Do you think, though, there are or were men in black? Okay, if you read the book carefully, Bender doesn't say they dressed in black. He says they wore dark clothing and black hats. I remember. It was Barker who just shaded that ever so slightly into men in black suits that turned the event into a myth. Now, I do believe Bender was visited by three men, and I believe they were from the FBI. And I believe that the FBI, their reason for visiting Bender had absolutely nothing to do with UFOs. This was 1953. Senator Joseph McCarthy was at the height of his power and influence. J. Edgar Hoover's FBI was single-mindedly devoted to rooting out communism, the masters of deceit who wore a thousand disguises. And Barker describes how an FBI agent came into his office, this is before the the silencing of Bender, and got one of his cards. And my speculation is they saw International Flying Saucer Bureau and said, aha, Communist Front Organization. (laughs) That makes perfect sense, doesn't it, given the climate of the times? And add to it that in January of 1953, the Robertson panel had warned how enemies of the United States could use flying saucer enthusiasts to subvert the country. Is it fair to think that in general there were Men in black in the sense of government agents running around to see what was happening? I don't know. I think there were these three agents who happened to wear dark clothing. But the men in black as a sort of persistent governmental organization, it makes no sense. I mean, why should a secret society wear a uniform that announces who they are? I think it was Hoover that brought in uh, sort of their standard dress code, which was essentially black suits and hats. And they tended to drive around in their black sedans. And they did uh, investigate UFO witnesses. We don't have to think of them necessarily as aliens. I mean, we get into these weird cases where, yeah, we have people who are or beings or something that are dressed like that, but then have these waxy faces and tend to 
vanish into thin air or be able to pull some sort of mind trick on people. Those aren't the only uh, instances of, of MIB reports that are out there. There's quite a few more pretty strange ones, too. You're thinking of Herbert Hopkins, I think, yes? Oh, that one is, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. And this, I think, is one of one of the overtones of Men in Black, that Hopkins says he's dressed like an undertaker. And I think the Men in Black are embodiments of death. You know, that really fits with your whole theme there, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the book, I give an analysis of the Maury Island case, which I think will feed into that. And, and someone can say, well, wait a minute, didn't you just say they were real FBI agents? How are they embodiments of death? And that's part of what myth is, that you take reality and you give it a, a power and significance that goes beyond itself. One of the things I mentioned in my book, this I came across this not quite ufologist, but that I was translating 17th century Hebrew writings going back to a failed messianic movement. And I found myself translating the writings of a man named Cardozo, who describes how he saw four beings standing on the moon. One of them was a woman, and then there were three men. And the three men come down to earth. At first, he thinks they're the blessed ghosts, ghosts of pious people. But it turns out they're demons, and that they've come to seduce him into heresy. And they cast fever upon him. They stand by his bed dressed in black. And I thought, oh, my God, 270 years before they came to visit Albert Bender in Bridgeport. Here they are by the Dardanelles afflicting Abraham Cardozo. So I think there's the archetypal element here. Well, that's fascinating. Before that, the, the only one that I'd always turn to as a as an obvious one or are the the magi that visited jesus in the manger type of thing brought gifts these were dressed in dark robes and showed up and had bearing gifts you know they followed the star there and then it kind of hovered over where jesus was and then these black robed figures come in <laughs> you know so that was kind of my first introduction to them but i'd never heard of that one that's really cool and I mean, Bark certainly never heard of it because no Hebrew could read it until 2001 when I translated it. Right. So you can read Hebrew? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You know, if I wasn't impressed before, I am now. We're going to be more impressed because we got more to cover. Not just Men in Black, but Richard Shaver. And I'd like to move oh, yeah. into that in our next segment because we only have three segments left with Gene Randall. David, you're in. The Paracast. <laughs> Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. 
Attack of the Rockoids, and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attention all radio listeners who still need food supplies. If you've thought about the implication of food-related supply chain disruptions and are concerned about the coming quarantines, this will be the most important message you will ever hear. Here's why. In the next few days, all Americans will face extremely hard choices. If we've learned anything from China and Italy, it's that quarantines and enforced lockdowns are just a few days away here in the U.S. Listen, while dehydrated food is becoming scarce, you can still get enough open pollinated heirloom seeds to grow a one-acre crisis garden. The truth is, growing nutrient-dense vegetables in the days ahead may actually be the single most important thing you do. Go to survivalseedbank.com and watch the new video to understand the nature of the threat. This could be life-saving. Lockdowns can last from six to eight weeks. Get free bonus seeds, special quarantine reports, too. Go to survivalseedbank.com. That's survivalseedbank.com. Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNLife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNLife.com or call toll-free 844-443-6637. That's GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Hey everyone, Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pore cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping, plus a free gift, the new charcoal pore cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662, or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code radio you heard right proactive md plus free shipping and a free gift the new charcoal pore cleansing brush you'll get all this for just 19.95 and their 60 day money back guarantee you're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you get your money back call now 1-800-583-8662 that's 1-800-583-8662 or go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio again go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio We all have heard about the benefits of fish oils, but what about the presence of heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, furans, and other contaminants found in fatty tissues of fish? GCNteam.com recognizes this risk and offers IFOS-certified tested omega-3 fatty acids. EPA, DHA, insist on IFOS omega-3 fatty acid certification. Get the best at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Lest I be thought of as being this crazed egomaniac, which I am, by the way, I wanted to save this for now in the final third of the show. You have a section there on Richard Shaver. I play a bit of a part, but you can explain how. 
because Shaver opened his heart to you, and so did Ray Palmer, in, and showed themselves to you in a way I don't think they've shown themselves to anyone else. And I found your interviews just indispensable sources for trying to understand this pair and the synergy of it. And I'm going to use that word synergy because it seems to me that's part of the pattern. You know, when I was a kid, I was looking for patterns in UFOs. Well, I think I found one, the synergy of pairs. Gray Barker and Albert Bender, Ray Palmer and Richard Shaver, Betty and Barney Hill. Together, the pair creates something that neither one of them could have created alone. And your interviews, it seemed to me, gave the key to understanding how they did it. I don't mind telling listeners what I did that helped. What you did was got them to talk about themselves, about their uncertainties, about what they thought was important and what they were doing. Obviously, it's the interview I did with Ray Palmer where he said something about Shaver's background, which is also mentioned in one or two books about Palmer and his background. And that's something that hadn't been revealed before. And in connection with that, being the proper reporter, I contacted Shaver and said, okay, what's your take on this? Whatever it is, you got them to talk. And I mean, that's the, the magic of an interviewer. You're getting me to talk. Well, it was in this particular case is I don't know why Palmer did this or not. Let me give you the backstory. We had this meeting in 1965. Jim Mosley, Dale Reddick, Rick Hilberg, and myself. We went to Chicago. Palmer was on the agenda. We were going to visit Palmer in Amherst, Wisconsin. We first visited a young man, a tall young Frenchman, who wrote a book called Anatomy of uh, Phenomenon, is it? Yeah, I think we know what tall young Jacques Vallée. We visited about. Jacques Vallée, and Jim Mosley said to me, "You know, this guy's got a few problems psychologically." I think there was some, some intensity or or hyper strung nature to Vallée. Whatever, you know, I ignored that. We had a pleasant meeting for an hour or two that Vallée barely remembers. But he does remember it. And then we went off to see Ray Palmer. Of course, Ray Palmer, we knew him as the editor of Flying Saucers in Search, the co-founder of Fate magazine, the editor of Amazing Stories when he discovered Richard Shaver. All that background. And Jim had made arrangements with Palmer, who had a listed phone number, by the way, to see him. We had set up a time and we drove from Chicago to Amherst, Wisconsin, a tiny town and we got lost a couple of times. And finally, we came up to the service station in Amherst. And out of the blue, Jim says, do you know a guy named Ray Palmer? And he says, yes, I do. Here's how you get to his home. He had this beautiful single family home, Amherst, Wisconsin, overlooking at the Tomorrow River. I mean, he always pretended or acted as if he didn't have a lot of money. But he had this beautiful, beautiful home. That really surprised me. That he did. In any case, we visited him and I had the tape recorder and I said, Ray, can I interview you? And so he did. He talked about a couple of instances where, for example, when he was the editor of Amazing Stories, running the Shaver stories, and he wanted to present material from Shaver that would prove mathematically and scientifically what Shaver said was true. And he talked about taking 
the galleys, the proofs to the printer for final approval and was nearly run down by somebody in a car at an intersection. And he thought that there was some connection. But then he went to say, what happened to Shaver during the years that he spent in the caves? And Palmer said he was in a mental institution. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the big secret. I asked Shaver who denied it. Now, later on, we had the author, Richard Toronto, who wrote a book about Palmer and Shaver. And he said that it looked like Shaver's family railroaded him into the mental institution, which I gather in the 1930s was a hell of a sight easier than it is now. Yeah, though, they they had a grudge against Shaver, partly because he wasn't Jewish. And they but they also did genuinely believe he was insane. And there was I mean, there was some grounds for it. He did. You know, he heard voices speaking to him out of his welding machine, which is probably not the person that you want your daughter to marry. There was something that Palmer wrote when he that when Palmer heard this is in my book, that when Palmer heard the news of Hiroshima. He said, he wrote, no longer is the destructive power of Shaver's imaginary or not underground science, the secret of the underground. It is on the surface now. Did it perhaps come from the underground? What strange guidance might our scientists have had? And what strikes me there is his parenthetical, imaginary or not. He knew with part of him that Shaver's, that whole underground world, the Tiro and the Dero and all that stuff, were Shaver's imagination. But he also knew they were real. And that paradox was what he held on to and what gave the Shaver mystery its propulsive power. Do you think that this can be compared to, in some ways, the, the kind of stories that we hear coming from people like Whitley Stryber? Like? Like Secret School, for example, or Communion? Because, I, okay. mean, there, I mean, if you're looking at Communion, there you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. You said, I thought you said Willie Stryber. So it's Whitley. no Whitley. Yes. Yeah, Whitley. Yeah, that no. Because Whitley it sounds a, it sounds similar to me in a way. The, this with what you're talking about, like the, the driving motivations behind it. I mean, personally, I'm kind of with you in that w- when I read Stryber, I I don't necessarily think that he's talking fact. I think that there's a lot of docu fiction there, but it's. It's it's written in this way th- that is very much like you describe, where, with all the symbolism and in, in that th- goes on with it. Well, well I've always pronounced the name Streber, but uh, so I may use that pronunciation. That that, that Streber's Streber is a very interesting case because he's a very he's a very self aware person. I mean, he's extremely intelligent. I've uh, I, I've had uh, some interactions with him, and I've been tremendously impressed with with his mind. Uh, I have no doubt at all that he had some extraordinary experiences. Because, we'll talk more uh, about Whitley Strieber. 
Yeah. And David Halpern and Gina Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNhemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNhemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid mobile survival bug out house that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement, you bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. With coronavirus death rates escalating rapidly around the country, the CDC is now recommending facial coverings to help slow the spread of the virus. President Trump made it clear he would not be using them. The CDC is advising the use of non-medical cloth face covering as an additional voluntary public health measure. So it's voluntary. You don't have to do it. They suggest it for a period of time. But uh, this is voluntary. I don't think I'm going to be doing it. In the hardest-hit city, New York Governor Cuomo signed an executive order to transfer ventilators from facilities that aren't using them to overwhelmed hospitals. He said he would use the National Guard if needed. I'm not going to let people die because we didn't uh, redistribute ventilators. This is USA Radio News. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. Again, that's 800-871-3291. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do 
all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Those of you looking at the archives of the Paracast, after years of saying yes and then turning us down, we did have Streber on the show one time. Go ahead, David. That I think I, I think something very powerful happened to him. He himself is very self-aware and entertains in communion the possibility that what he'd experienced was some sort of sexual abuse as a, as a child. And indeed, it does, it does sound like that. I mean, one part of his story, which has been parodied with the most extreme cruelty, is his memory of being anally penetrated by some sort of a rod. And it really does sound like what's happening is the eruption of some ancient sexual trauma. But at the same time that he's describing these extraordinary things, he's casting doubt on his own memories. Like, he cannot remember if he was at the University of Texas when, I think in 1966, a sniper began shooting up the campus. And he, he wavers back and forth on that. On the one hand, he has a clear memory of being there. On the other hand, his memory makes no sense. So I think with communion, we're dealing with a personal testimony that's very remarkable and that's very difficult to make sense out of. It's interesting. I don't know that that most people uh, emphasize this, but Streber himself never said that the the beings he encountered were uh, space aliens. That was the construction placed on it by his critics. Right. But he does talk about trying to understand whatever the motives are behind the, the, we'll just call them aliens, or the creatures, or what, what he sees as these other beings. And in the end, that's where he gets the title for his book, because he felt that what they're trying to do is create a sort of a meeting of hearts and minds with him through their demonstrations and experiences that they've put him through in some way, shape, or form. And I, I'm not really sure that I understand that, but it sounds very much to me kind of like what you're talking about, where there's a lot of symbolism and visions and experiences that are, in some cases, vague, aren't perfectly remembered, in some cases are remembered, but yeah. there doesn't seem to be any clear meaning, but they're, they're constantly pulling him in the direction of some sort of understanding that he even himself took some time to become aware of. And I'm not sure that we should even use the plural, because I think he says in his preface that there is something that seeks communion with us. 
Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just something, something beyond yeah. this. Right. So, I mean, he and Valet are not that far apart. But it's it's interesting about the titles. I don't know whether anybody's compared the it's the I don't know how many languages the book has been translated into, but I know one of them is Hebrew, and the Hebrew title is Haorchim, the visitors. Oh well, that's a kind of almost an entirely different concept. Yeah, because you know when you think of communion, you can also think of the religious ritual, right? You sure can. I and as a matter of fact, you're in. It, it, I think it's inevitable. You will think of the Catholic sacrament. Yeah, and I don't think that was an accident. I don't think so at all. I'd be the, I'd be the last person in the world to say it's an accident. I know we're toward the end, and I will. We would almost use this as a windup. We are dealing with a genuine religious phenomenon, and in my opinion, whether God exists or not, religious phenomena deserve respect. Or do they? I mean, <laughs> I'm not religious, so I'm not sure. I think respect has to be earned, and it has to, it, you know, I'm one of those, I don't believe in faith. There's times when I'll set my logical so mind aside, and I'll just say, okay, in a generic sense, I want to have faith in the universe, faith in nature, faith in, in my fellow human beings, faith in love, faith in the goodness of the world. But when it comes to religion, that's a different story. And there are religions. There are, of course, the Raelians, which I'm sure you've heard of. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, here we have a figurehead who claims to have had actual contact with aliens that took him to their home planet where he was introduced to all of the luminaries, Jesus and Confucius and so on. I mean, what do you make of that? I don't know. I know it's part of the story. It's not part of the story that I've studied. I think it's an important one. U UFOs are just incredibly rich. And then, of course, you've got the Heaven's Gate people. I mean, look what happened to them. Yeah. And then we've got something that I was going to get into in my book, but taught that there were space limitations. And that is that there seems to be a distinct African-American UFO tradition. That ufology as we know it is basically a Caucasian institution. Well, yeah, you know, each country does have its own cultural relationship with the phenomena. South America has a very rich tradition. Uh, Mexico has one. The Native Americans, you know, our First Nations, have another one. Uh, every nation seems to have its own special relationship with that phenomena. And there we go again. It's, it's uh, the phenomena reflects the worldview of the experiencer. I just keep coming back to this time and time again. Yeah. So perhaps the fundamental issue to be explored is the, and I'm going to say the conscious worldview of the experiencer and its interaction with something beyond that consciousness yes yes and, and, and of course that and and here we go again we're almost going around in circles but it's more like a spiral because each time we do we tend to to yes. move up a little bit and yes and and that's when we were talking about valet again and the idea of that control system where you know when he says when he speaks of a control system for planet earth he doesn't mean some higher order of beings 
has locked us inside the constraints of a space-bound jail, closely monitored by psychic entities that we might call angels or demons. What he means is that mythology rules at a level of our social reality over which normal political and intellectual action has no power. That's pretty much a quote from him. So, he's saying that these experiences transcend our normal boundaries on the map. Which I believe. And that seems to suggest, I mean, and this is me just hypothesizing here, that's, that suggests that it is a, a more universal phenomenon. That, that what they're trying to do is to break down those barriers. Which, of course, now, here we go again, takes us all the way back to John Lennon and imagine no countries. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah. I don't know. This, it's just all just so awesome. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, what's awesome how, how is we, we have one more segment. Yeah, what, you I interrupted you. Say that again. And I'm going to move to the next segment. Yeah. Go ahead. How are we going to get a chair of ufology instituted at the universities? It would really be worth teaching. I'm with you. Well, maybe next year, next century, but not in our lifetimes. Seriously speaking, we don't have a lot of time left. One more segment. I wanted to hit one more subject away from spiritual UFOs, away from collective unconscious, away from myths. And that is to something that may or may not have a practical answer. And it refers to a later chapter in your book entitled, of course, Roswell, New Mexico, that's chapter eight. Yeah. And I'll give you a beginning. I'm going to say the first sentence in this chapter, first paragraph, about the UFO crash at Roswell. Two facts are certain. Pray tell, what could they be? With Gene Randall and David, you're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. 
Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist, Dr. Nathan Newman, took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. And the IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800 503 Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio. David Halpern, author of Intimate Aliens, what two facts are when it comes well, to New Mexico? Let, what two facts are certain? Let me consult what I wrote. The first, that about noon on Tuesday, July 8th, 1947, the public information officer at Roswell Army Airfield issued the following announcement to local newspaper and radio outlets. And I won't read the whole thing, but it begins, the many rumors regarding the flying disc 
became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force was Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc. That's fact number one that they issued that announcement. Fact number two, that late that same afternoon, Brigadier General Roger M. Ramey invited a reporter from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram to his office at Fort Worth Army Airfield, and there the reporter was shown what was obviously a weather balloon and told that that was what was retrieved at Roswell. Those are the two facts, and I will quote from my book, Everything else we think we know about Roswell is assertion, recollection, speculation. Piecing it all together into a coherent and persuasive narrative is the single most baffling and complex riddle in ufology. It's also the best known for who is there in this country and in many other parts of the world for whom the name Roswell doesn't ring a bell. But the note sounded when the bell is rung differs from person to person. In the end, what do you think Roswell was? Death. <laughs> yes. I guess we should have seen that coming because yes. that seems to be the, you know, the patent answer to. Yes, this is the single best known UFO story, and it is about the aliens, the pilots of the UFOs, shattered and dead. I once wrote in a blog post, the Greeks imagined that the gods were immortal. The ufologists know better. Indeed, yes, because in the past, in ancient times, when they came down, it would be, okay, well, you know, hand over your, your best calf and your youngest daughter, and they would be all obliging. But uh, in Roswell, they came down near the only base in the USA that had uh, atomic weapons, and I don't think that they were going to get the same welcome. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, isn't it remarkable that the same... 509th unit that brought Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that new kind of death into the world, was the same unit on whose doorstep the UFOs manifested themselves. Does that tell us what they were or what it was? Yeah, the aliens are death in its aspect of alienness. They're also us, childlike and helpless, in the face of a calamity that we can neither ward off nor understand. You know what I'm seeing here, though, David, is that what we've done here is we've taken a particular phenomena and we've found a way of looking at it that reveals through the use of this kind of thinking, metaphor and archetypes and psychology and analogy, ways of looking at the world, give us an insight, a deeper insight to our existence. Might we not be able to do the same thing, though, with any number of things? Could we, like, could we apply this sort of thinking to, well, the Loch Ness Monster or a Bigfoot or ghosts? For example, I mean, ghosts, I mean, you want to talk death, there we go. That, that would seem to be 
the center, the bullseye right there, if you wanted to use that sort of thinking, right? Yeah. Be my guest. Be my guest. I would never say that UFOs are the only subject worth studying. Well, like you were saying, this this actually makes perfect sense. When you're what you're saying is it's not really about UFOs. It's about us. Sure. Yeah. So is so is everything. Exactly. I'm I'm becoming actually more fascinated with this uh, all the time. I mean, this is the second interview I've done with you, and we've gotten into this subject. And it, I think that the people out there in UFO land and our listeners who don't quite get it yet, give it a chance. Because, I mean, people know that I'm I'm a believer in the craft, that there are real ones. But this view that you've got is really, really interesting. And, and I think it really deserves to be contemplated at some deeper level. If it is, then I will declare my life's work to be complete. I'm going to ask you a question here, just right from out of the introduction to your book. Why does the UFO-themed Close Encounters of the Third Kind gross over $300 million and become a cinema classic, while organizations dedicated to UFO research languish for want of public interest? Why, in the words of folklorist Thomas Bullard, are UFOs at once so popular and so despised? Why? Because they represent a part of ourselves, that knowledge of our mortality primarily, that we need to acknowledge, but we don't want to. That sounds like me and my procrastination on writing a will. I'm, <laughs> I know I should, but it's uh-huh. acknowledging that someday that, uh, you know, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to face that. I can't even hardly saying it. It's, it's like the Fonz trying to apologize. I, I can't do it. So you can understand why I looked at my mother growing skeletal and more weak day after day and thought she was doing just fine. I, I can understand the mirror analogy that you, you used with Medusa perfectly, because that's about the only way that I can wrap my head around it, is to get myself outside of the situation and think, well, okay, what if I was someone else and they had to, to deal with the situation of what might happen to me, but, you know, of course won't. Yes. Yeah. Dealing with mortality and in the mortality of someone you love and your, ourselves can be very difficult. Perhaps impossible, even, except in a mirror. Yeah, in in a way. I mean, I know logically and rationally that that this is something that will happen to myself and probably everyone else. And, and yet, I look at other books, say, for example, The Age of Spiritual Machines, where they talk about downloading consciousness, and other books that say solving the aging problem, where maybe we never actually will have to die. We're at a stage now in human development where maybe we won't for the first time in history. I grasp onto that, maybe in the same way that you grasped onto UFOs. I don't know. What if we conquered death? Then what? This question may be answered in the next appearance from David Halpern or not. We'll keep you guessing. David, where can we find more of your stuff? Well, you could go to my website, www.davidhalperin.net, or of course you could go to the website of the Stanford University Press and take a look at their notice of my book. Whenever you think about UFOs, you gotta take a gander at this book. Really worth it. 
not just complimenting an old friend. He does good work. You'll find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. You'll find two Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. You'll find branded merchandise for the Paracast, four different logos, T-shirts and jackets and throw pillows and stuff and cups. More to come. To find out more, go to theparacast.shop, theparacast.shop. We also offer our second radio show, the After the Paracast podcast. We never know what's going to happen next. We have extended interviews from the main episode, special interviews, commentaries, and more. We also give you a version of this show free of the network ads, better quality audio. All this and more for a low subscription price and for the duration of this worldwide crisis, coronavirus. We've cut the prices by 40% or more. For more information on joining the Paracast Plus, check the Paracast.plus, the Paracast.plus. Can't wait till his next book comes out. Or are we rushing or jumping the gun here? David Halpern, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you so much for having me, Gene and Randall. Featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.